On this episode of the Guidewire podcast, I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing almost the entire team at the same time. We reflected on things that we have tried in Fast Tracks that worked really well, things that we've tried in Fast Tracks that are still works in progress, and I asked each person on our team to make a prediction about what they see coming forward in 2021. This is the season finale of the Guidewire podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners and those of you that subscribe. If you have a suggestion for a topic, please email us at guidewire at unc.edu. For now, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We'll see you in the next season. Welcome to Guidewire, a direct line to medical device innovation. We are the boots on the ground inside of healthcare working to uncover and solve high impact unmet medical needs. Welcome to the Guidewire podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hubbard. And today I'm joined by almost our entire team, which is really exciting. We've got six different people on the call. So we're in a digital booth together and we can all see each other's faces, which is exciting. The topic for today is sort of a recap for the season finale, just to discuss what we've done, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and to get everybody's kind of thoughts on what's coming next. I'm excited to invite uh, a couple of new folks that haven't been on the podcast yet, but I've actually been begging you guys to to get on here. So I'll introduce you guys first. So I want to welcome Andy, our Associate Director, Andy Kant. So hello, Andy. Oh, thanks for having me, Devin. And congratulations on the podcast. This is great. <laughs> I'm excited to be here today. Thanks. I'm glad that we finally talked you into coming that on. That sounded insincere, didn't it? I actually mean that. <laughs> no, I believe you. Does the audience believe you? No. <laughs> Just kidding. And then our other illustrious director, or the illustrious director of Fast Track, Sean Gomez. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. So. Great. I'm also excited to have you on the podcast because the two masterminds behind this whole thing are now present, which means that we can pick on you and put you on the spot, which is great. <laughs> and then we have some perennial guests, which I'd also like to introduce. So we've got both of our prototype and design engineers here. Uh, Nicole, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Devin. Yeah. And Nabil, hello again. Hello, hello. And then we've got two clinicians on board, which is fantastic. We've got Gabe Lee, who's been a perennial guest on this podcast for a whole host of different ones. So welcome back. Thanks for having me. Excited for this giant podcast party. Awesome. And last but not least, we've got our clinician in residence, Alan Rosenbaum. So welcome, Alan. Awesome. Thanks for uh, bringing the whole team together here. Well, thank you guys for making time to do this. This is actually surprisingly easy to schedule on such short notice. So, well, let's get into it. I think what I wanted to do was go around the horn and, and discuss what we've tried out. I know that we've tried a whole bunch of different things this year, and some stuff has worked. Some stuff has worked probably really well and better than expected. Other stuff we have abandoned and moved on to the next idea. So I think I'd like to start. I hope you guys don't mind, Andy and Sean. I want to start with you guys because... You're the the leaders of the the pack here. So I want to go to Andy first, if that's okay, Andy. Do you mind if we... I want to pick on you. What have we tried in Fast Tracks that you think worked particularly well or maybe better than expected? And then what did we try that maybe didn't work so well? And then for the rest of you, feel free to jump in on the conversation as things go. One thing that worked well, and we're still kind of new to it or kind of in the, in the midst of it, is engaging the clinician. So Alan's on board and obviously Gabe has been here, but... And Austin's not with us today. He's another one that's that's part of us. But that's been totally enriching, right? To get kind of direct, kind of constant engagement with you guys and get feedback. I think that I suspect that resonates with everybody, but interested to hear their thoughts as well. I mean, I don't know, Devin, what's been your experience? I mean, that yeah, on the clinical advisory group that we have. I figured this was one of the first things that was going to come up, mostly because I think it has been very successful. And it's also changed a lot since we originally conceived of it. I think 
our original idea was just, Hey, let's get some providers on board and see how it goes. And it was like, Oh, wow, this is, we should have done this a long time ago. But since Alan and Gabe are on the call, I'm going to ask those two from your perspective on that particular subject. What are your thoughts? You feel like, I mean, I, I know unequivocally that this has been one of the most valuable additions to fast tracks, just from even understanding basic medical terminology, right? Like in, in fact, the other day, Austin dropped a note in our chat that used the word decannulation. I was like, that's the word I've been trying to think of for like a week and a half. Anyway, Alan, Gabe, thoughts? <laughs> sure. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to, to have this uh, clinical advisory or CAG group that meets every week. It's been a great opportunity to have uh, different people with different backgrounds get together because we're all engaged and we're all able to easily identify problems or shortcomings or opportunities or solutions. And that just really helps things move along at a much quicker pace rather than something that's slower with meeting people one-on-one or sending individual emails and waiting for responses. Yeah. Gabe, do you have any additions to that? Yeah, I would echo what Alan said. You know, I think what makes Fast Track so special and what, what made me so earnest to join you guys is just the unique model that you guys employ. You know, you're housed in a university, you're a team of engineers, but you get to leverage all of these, you know, incredible world-leading physicians to divine to design these uh, unmet, you know, devices for unmet needs. And I think what's really been most valuable from my perspective is, you know, working at various startups at the business school. One of the real issues that you've seen, I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but it's just I want to want to emphasize it is. It's just the, the, the difficulty in, in interdisciplinary work and, and communication between the engineers and the physicians. So, you know, we, when we started off, we started off with these design sprints, which, you know, where we kind of co-opted from Silicon Valley. And I think there were some growing pains kind of implementing them in the beginning. But once we got them rolling, like just getting that communication flowing and being able to kind of lessen the language gap between the two specialties, engineers and, and doctors, I think has been what is really unique and valuable about, about Fast Tracks. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? I'm virtually raising my hand and it feels awkward. I just want to call that out for the, for the audience. But um, yeah, Gabe, I'm glad you brought up sprints because that was one thing that I had thought about to your second question there about kind of what we tried. And you know, generally the sprints work well, but I have, for now I'm going to prompt Nicole and Bill, I have vivid memories of standing in the hospital very humbly, kind of asking for kind of the output of our prototype that we did that initial sprint. So Devin's laughing too, I see him and we were all kind of it was very this communal kind of, you know, effort, but I have these vivid memories of, you know, asking providers, you know, look what we built, show and tell. And for the audience, basically, this was a this was a week-long sprint that we had done to kind of prove out, all right, how do we kind of increase engagement at scale with providers? And we're still kind of working on that, but I don't know, that was just one kind of random memory that I had of, of what we did. And uh, of course, that, that went and evolved into this whole greater sprint process that in the end was actually a huge success, but... I know, that was just one memory I wanted to share. I want to come back to that subject in a minute because I see Nabil smiling and I'm going to, Nabil, I'm going to prompt you in a minute. But before we get there, Andy, really quickly, I got to ask the follow-up question. What did we try that you don't think worked very well? Or maybe that we could have done better? Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I thought about that. I mean, you know, the, the challenge in answering that question is, you know, we've tried so much and some of it still maybe might work. Right. So, you know, I'm hesitant to say fail. Right. Well, you maybe know, something think, that we're trying that we're not so sure about. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Everything. I don't know. Sean. Not sure. Yeah. Sean's got ideas. Sean, what do you got? Oh, no, I um, I was saying that it, like there's lots of things, I think, exactly that that aren't 
We don't know for sure if they're all going to work or to what extent they will. I think we've gotten much better at just trying things, Hmm. avoiding a little bit of, you know, trying to get it over getting it perfect the first time, right? This much more just learning by trying it out. And I think the speed of that is it's helped our speed greatly, right? By just sort of accepting the a little bit different outcome. So yeah, Gabe, you had your hand raised. Yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your guys' perspective, especially, you know, Andy and Sean, but also largely all the engineers as well. You know, when we started the sprints, there was the whole solution agnostic kind of part of finding these needs, you know, in the need identification. And I mentioned earlier, we had, I think, some growing pains in the beginning, and I kind of felt that that was one of the most difficult issues for us to kind of communicate with participating docs and just kind of wanted to hear what you guys think about that and if you found ways around it. Yeah. Andy, what what do you think? Yeah, that's a great prompt, Gabe. I mean, it's definitely a challenge. You know, I think real time, you just got to manage, you know, kind of a group of providers and put them, you know, kind of at ease to say like, all right, you know, let's not try to focus on solutions, but let's kind of, you know, really focus on this early upfront space. But that said, you know, solutions are the fun part, if you will, this whole process to think creatively and kind of think, all right, what are the solutions? So kind of the, the drudgery upfront is really get, that's the hard work is like the unmet need kind of validation piece. So I think um, Nabil has a lot of experience in kind of managing those sprints. So interested to hear his thoughts there as well. But I think it's really, it's a real-time management thing. You know, I, I don't see it as a huge challenge in those sprints. It's not something where you want to squash it, but you really, you want to emphasize kind of, all right, let's come back, you know, let's focus on this need and what's the core problem that we're trying to address. I think we've actually gotten, that's gotten easier almost or better. I think it's a, been easier to get people almost excited about that you have a problem and maybe the thing that you think is a need isn't, but there's something there behind it and getting people more like that, that itself can be exciting as finding that sort of underlying nugget of truth, if you will. Right. That, and I think, so I feel like in some ways that has gotten to be less of an issue. It's sort of hard to tell with the whole COVID situation, right. And, and doing that, but at least the way it was moving, I felt like, especially once we've also engaged with some of these groups more than once, right? That became a much easier process. It much more quickly went into just let's, you know, let's talk about this some more. And why do you see it that way? And, you know, how many people does this really? And I think educating providers as much in the process is is actually a huge part of it, right? The more sort of buy-in we get from providers of accepting that process and sort of the issues with it, and then also having confidence that eventually you will get to solutions and they'll be part of that process, I think makes it much easier for people to take, you know, to wait and to sort of put up with the, the time to do the front end work. So I think that's gotten, has been better, has been easier. Yeah, I have a couple things to, that that come to mind based on this prompt. The first of all, I think one of the things that we have done a much better job of is avoiding analysis paralysis. I feel like we spent a lot of time early on trying to really overanalyze the problem. I think one of the things that we've gotten better at, maybe we haven't perfected, but certainly gotten better at, is quickly getting to the right information or at least enough information to get things going and to quote Sean, make it crappy, right? The whole idea of just like, let's try it and don't worry about whether or not it's perfect. Embrace. Embrace the (laughs) crappiness, which to be fair, Sean, I've been quoting you a lot to my students because they're all doing the same thing. They're like, oh my goodness, no, we need to study more. We need to make sure this is perfect. I'm like, no, 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 make it crappy. 
That's the point of this proof of concept, right? And you know, one of the things that I think I've also noticed, speaking of clinicians being involved in our process, is that, and to speak to the idea of engaging, I'm finding that our providers are getting more engaged in just the process of design itself. As an example, again, literally, was it last night or the night before, two nights ago, I was having a, a chat with one of our other clinicians in residence and was sending publications and articles about the design process that he's going to use to prep a presentation. So it was like one of those things that I was like, oh man, I hadn't even thought about the fact that I'm so ingrained in the process of design that I don't necessarily always think like, oh, not everybody understands you know, the thought process and the metacognition behind what's going on with the process itself. But okay, so we got we got some stuff from Andy. And I'll argue maybe more than one thing, but that's okay. I think those are all the ideas that were on the top of everybody's mind. Sean, what, do you have anything to add to those two successes slash thing works in progress? <laughs> those are certainly like the clinician part. That's a, that's a huge one. That's really done well. You know, I was really, I think we're all pretty proud of what we were able to do during, it's still going on, but COVID, but sort of the PPE efforts. And I think that as an accomplishment, less on, you know, things we're doing, but I think that did that situation pushed a lot of the things, the processes that we were doing out of sort of a, I don't know, a comfort zone, a sort of traditional let's turn on it and it had to be different. And I think that actually benefited us, at least in some parts, in terms of dealing with less than ideal situations to, you know, to discuss problems with clinicians and find needs and the whole frame, Aram Innovations, right? That that spin-off. I think that was very much a product of just here's a problem. And we had the benefit of there was a, the needs defined there. Nobody's arguing about whether it's a real need or not. And so it was, it was actually very clarifying, right? When you see that this is how easy it can be when you know, you have a need that everybody buys into. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to argue about that. Right. Yeah. And, and while it can still be challenging to get financial support, right. With, from say a business standpoint, still not nearly as hard as it would be in a normal situation. And I yeah. think that's, I think for me triggered a lot of like why this whole thing of um, not getting just one trying things out quicker and accepting it's really hard. I mean, I think for most of us, right. Everybody wants to do high quality work and Mm -hmm. you want to really nail it and do, especially medical, especially medical device. But at the same time being really, it's very easy to think you were solving something or we're solving the right thing. And it's amazing how much you learn by just trying something and getting feedback on it. Yeah. I kind of think that the, the whole PPE COVID space moved us towards like the just do it mentality. Alan, I I see your hand up. Yes. This is the first time I've raised my hand since high school, I think. (laughs) Uh, So I appreciate the teacher calling on me. Thank you, Devin. Um, I actually am just realizing that I'm like the newest team member here on this call. And so I guess I've got the freshest set of eyes out of the crew. And what I want to say is that I, I think it's easy for us to take for granted the fact that, you know, as Sean just described, we spend a lot of our time really on user needs and determining like which problems are problems worth pursuing. And I think that we should not lose sight of that. You know, most of our challenges and discussions are like, how do we do that process better? But like, we're not, none of us are debating that like, that's the primary goal, right? And I think that it's important, you know, we had a a meeting with a different 
crew, a different team a couple of weeks back, I think. And, and they, you know, exclaimed like, oh, where are you guys getting these great user needs and these great relationships with physicians? And well, it's because you guys spend so much time and effort and energy into um, building and developing those contacts and those relationships. And, and that's how you guys can, can figure out, you know, getting a good number of needs, being able to define them, being able to understand them, and then being able to understand, you know, which ones are the ones that you really want to dedicate your time towards. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because being on the inside of the process, I, I certainly, when it's pointed out, I do agree. I think that's probably one of the most valuable parts of what we do. Yeah. I, I think that's in order to define a need and understand it well, I mean, I think there's many classic examples of this in the medical devices world, right? Where it's pretty rare if at all, if it's ever happened at all for just an engineer to go out and be like, here's the, here's the solution to the problem. You know, Apple perhaps has some famous examples of things where it's like, oh, users don't know what they need. So give it to them and then they'll understand. But in the medical devices world, it's a little different, right? Of course, sometimes we get, here's the solution that I have in mind. And we go, hold on a minute, let's back up a step and think about what the unmet need is that's associated with it. Is there a better way to solve it? I, I completely agree. I think having those relationships is incredibly valuable for a whole host of reasons. All right. We haven't heard from Nicole or Nabil yet. So I really want to get you guys in. And I've seen, I see chuckling while you're muted, but let's, oh, actually, Sean, before we move along, I wanted to ask, is there anything in your mind that we tried that didn't quite work Oh, that you want to bring up? Not that I can think of offhand. I mean, there was some early stuff. I think some of the observation stuff was a little tricky at the beginning, right? And Mm -hmm. that's coming a lot in other conversations we have with, for instance, our our collaboration now with Teleflex, for instance, with outside industry and, and the role in which observation plays and when the right time is to do that, right? And I think we've learned sort of a one, a, a version of that that doesn't necessarily go with what, certainly what isn't in the textbook sort of approach and what's taught a lot. And um, so I think that's one that it's not a fair, but I think we, there's a, a need to sort of back that up and, and sort of explain to people in particular collaborators that we work with who maybe like, let's do observation earlier. We got to do it. It's like, well, you know, let's let's talk through what it what really is trying to be done here at this stage. And I think, um, but so anyway, that's the only one that pops to mind as as one uh, that I wouldn't say is a failure is, or a thing that didn't work. It's just there's a time and a place to use it. And I think we found out better for us. It probably it, likely it's very different for others, but for us, I think we kind of found where that works. Yeah, yeah. Andy, what are your thoughts? I would add that we could have had a better time on the escape room. yeah to back up we did an escape when was that that was a while that was almost that was like pre-covid man way before covid we did an escape room i agree we could have done so much better on that but to be fair we did pretty well i mean it was it was pretty close call we almost (laughs) right i'm not gonna debate it here if whether we finished it or not yeah it's fine but yeah i agree we could have done better there (laughs) <laughs> All right, Nabil and Nicole, let's go over to the engineers here and get insight from you guys. I want to start with, uh, let's go with uh, Nabil. Okay, I'm ready. I've been keeping my mouth shut because if I Cause no one wanted to hear I, you. Will, like, <laughs> dra- I will elongate this recording session and make the editing awful. <laughs> I'll just cut you off. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nabil, what are your thoughts? What, yeah. what are the things that you think we've tried that worked well, maybe better than expected things that... So I think I think we've mentioned several of kind of the big picture items that 
I think comes to most everyone's mind when we think about like what has been successful. And I, you know, we've had that podcast about sprints and opt versus observation or like group mm-hmm. sessions versus mm-hmm. observation. So I don't think it's worth hashing out. I think after that, which I think is the most probably prominent and intuitive thing that we adopted, I think is the is Sean's embracing crappy prototyping quickly. Yeah. I think having that mindset is freeing from analysis paralysis. And I think it's um, especially kind of being situated in kind of this this academic environment where you know all the information that you want exists somewhere and it's just the effort of leveraging relationships to kind of pull it all together. Like that's, yeah. it's painful. It takes a lot of time and investment. And I think kind of being freed of those constraints helps take you in different directions. And I think that's been good. I think when I think about what's what have I tried and failed at is executing on embracing crappy and prototyping quickly. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a personal failure or whether it's just, it's still those constraints that bound how we can make decisions and move quickly are oftentimes still there in some form. But I won't say I failed. I think we collectively, or at least m- myself personally, are still, I'm trying to find that balance because there is a trade-off there. Like, Or maybe they're just related concepts. By prototyping quickly, you must embrace crappy, right? But like, what level of crappy is acceptable? Those are the things that came to mind. I think it's been great. Can I pick your brain for a second? Wait, I'm sure you're not in the minority of people who, when told, make it yeah. crappy. Or have a hard time with that. Are there things that you can think of or point to you that that you think make it hard for you? Um, sure, I think. Or anybody. I mean, I, I'm thinking matter. about this specifically in the context of um, one of the projects that I'm working on, where sure. I think there's um, a valid need. I think we know what needs to be done. I don't know how specific I should I should talk about, you know, the high flow problem, but that's what I'm thinking about. And I think at this point, I want to. I think the hard part is is identifying like, hey, what is the? Mo- it's like the sprint method. It's like, what is the most essential question? What is the most valuable right. information I can right. I can glean, and how do I arrive at that most quickly, and via the you know the most shortcuts, loopholes, whatever, the crappiest, quickest path. And there's still these boundaries when it comes to at least in this case of like data collecting, positioning devices in a in a hospital room that take careful thought and lots of input. And kind of figuring out what that shortest path looks like is still not necessarily quick, but I think it's still an incremental improvement to be like, okay, I don't need perfect information. Just like I accept that. Let's just see with this arbitrary time deadline or the effort, constrained effort, where we can get. And it's just that we're going to learn something. And I think that's good. I think that's a it's a positive way to approach the problems. Yeah, I, you know, it dovetails into a conversation that I almost want to have as a, a complete episode for a podcast. But one of the things that I find, at least with my students, is that just in general with a problem, folks are try- always trying to find the root cause or the the biggest problem. But there's almost never is there just a single thing. Maybe there is in some cases, or there's like an overarching problem. But usually that gets parsed into a bunch of different things. And I totally resonate with what you said, which is trying to figure out what is the most important thing and and how do you get the information and how do you get there as quickly as you can. That's hard. So, yeah. yeah. I think the key to like, now that I think about it, it's like what embracing crappy is just figuring out like, you just got to like, what is good enough? And like, you just mm-hmm. have to like lessen your threshold for action. 
and I think it's working out. I think it's I think it's great. So it's you're still we something that can be optimized for fast tracks, which is just make it crappy. Yeah. Well, I guess Nabil said, I mean, I think part is that whole, like, we want to learn things as fast as possible, right? That's like, how quickly can, like, as Nabil said, sort of the shortest path, right? And, <clears throat> but it's all learning, right? It's because we don't know the answer. So it's like, how fast, like, how damn fast can we learn something to answer this question and still move to the next, you know, and go somewhere, right? And that's, a, but it's really hard because you it's really easy to learn by analysis, right? Or learn by planning and not mm-hmm. by just doing. And uh, so it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. Andy, what are your thoughts? You know, I think another element here we're, we're talking about is we've got a window and we want to be efficient with the time, but there's something to be said also for just kind of like daydreaming, just letting it sit and thinking about it and letting it ruminate. Right. And we don't always have the luxury of doing that, but you know, my sense is that's where real insights come from, right? As having it sit and kind of linger and just thinking about it. My sense is, Nabil, you're great at this and kind of thinking about, all right, let me just have some time to think and maybe not because he's smiling now. But um, I do waste a lot of time. You are correct in that. Wait, wait <laughs> this is not wasted time. <laughs> no, now, really. Now you're on record saying yeah. that. So we can just pull that clip out whenever we need it. <laughs> rah, rah. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's it. That's really the thought is really just to, you know, there's, there's value in ruminating on a problem that, that isn't goal driven, right? Mm-hmm. That you can just kind of sit there and, and let it sit. Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the reasons those big consulting agencies charge so much for their time, right? Because it's not simple to, to get to the finish line on, especially on projects that are very divergent, right? Like there's sometimes it's almost hard to see the finish line or what is the outcome that we need to change let alone how do you get there. So yeah, I completely agree. I'm curious to see what this will look like in a year or two, even, you know, like where do we, what do we learn from trying this out? And is there a way for us to operationalize this process in something that we can deliver to a new person, you know, an intern or whatever, somebody who comes onto the team new and say, here's the process. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. If it, if it changes. Yeah. Cool. Nabil, you already, you already mentioned what it was that you tried and felt like we could change and involve. So great. Let's move on to Nicole. All right, Nicole, you're up. Oh gosh. Everyone has already said so many good things. And what were the things that come to mind that you were thinking of? Right. I just want to say everything like this whole year has been a smash success. In my opinion, we kicked Mm. it off with the podcast. That was a ton of fun recording it. And we got a lot of positive feedback. We kind of transitioned into COVID. Well, I guess it's not really a transition. It kind of hit us all across the face, right? And all of a sudden, our whole team jumped on the same idea of solving a problem, whether it be PPE for of various sorts or maybe some work in ventilators. So we all had the, the same focus, the same urgency. Um, Devin, you even brought the 3D printer out of the lab into your, your garage, which yeah, was great because cool. I could just be like, hey, print this and try it. <laughs> so that was a smash hit. Uh, the clinician advisory group, which we've also been calling the pig group, the physician. I can't remember what the I stands for. Intellectual group, maybe. The pig <laughs> provider group. input group. Been... Provider input group. Yeah. There we go. Provider input group. That I got to say, do you know how many days of literature searching have been saved in my world from having our physicians just literally on call for us via our communication tool, Slack. I mean, days of literature searching. (laughs) So that has just been great just to get their insight on some of our ideas. 
and having our weekly meetings to get their feedback too. And again, with the Make It Crappy has propelled us forward. And and like Andy mentioned earlier, COVID kind of put that into our mindset, right? Okay, we need to get something done right now. And that has really propelled us to success. And we've dabbled a little bit in in helping some physicians sort of mock up their ideas from napkin sketches to, to CAD drawings to help them out. And that has been great. And I think we've forged a lot of really great relationships there. And here we are concluding with a, a podcast again. So I just, I, oh, I also have to add um, Sean's Vima app too, which sort of tracks our problems and then Nabil's database tool, which brings everything in. So all of the sort of scrambling we were doing in the beginning, everything's coming together. And I just think this has just been a, a smash hit of a year, a home run. Three should home runs. I should have had you go last, Nicole. <laughs> Ever the optimist. All right, bring us down. Let's hear where we failed. <laughs> oh, oh, I got it. Well, I really miss our weekly meetings where we're all sitting in the same room and uh, Sean shows up with his like iced tea and, and biscotti. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's uh, just, true. just hanging out with you guys or Andy popping by my cube every once in a while to say, hey, have you heard about this? And and just doing on-the-fly updates. But again, we've tried to rectify that with our water cooler chat on Slack. So on Slack, someone would just sort of open a an audio call and we could all just jump in if we were free. And that, hey, that's a positive there. So yeah, negative. I guess I'm, I just really miss seeing you guys in person. I miss it. Yeah. Well said, yeah, Nicole. Well said. That was, I didn't raise my hand. Sorry, Devin. I just, okay. You're still saying nice things. I want to hear where we failed. <laughs> that's the Sorry, that's Devin's people. job to push. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was great. No, you brought up. I got a lot it. I got it. Let's see. Something along the lines of, oh, we haven't. Look at, we got a startup out of Aram Innovation. <laughs> That's a great started. positive. Man, Nabil is laughing so hard. We have not solved it. all 306 problems or so that we have in our database. There we go. All, Actually, we've got 300 problems to solve. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad Bill said it. I think it's like 300. <laughs> se- what is it? 374, 376, or something? Something like that. Yeah, They're piling on faster than 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 we can work on them. Yeah, yeah. Andy, what this is what our are downfall? Thoughts? I want to suggest that <laughs> horrible. we horrible title to uh, Chief Optimistic Officer or Chief Optimistic <laughs> Officer. That was fantastic. That was. Cool. I agree. I sh- I feel like I should have had Nicole go last, so we could just like end on the high note, right? Oh, Nabil dropped in the chat that we have 380 unmet needs in our database at the moment. Wow. And we've probably tackled like two or three of them. (laughs) So, I mean, we're definitely on our way. (laughs) We're almost done. You know, I think that's one of the, not negative, but one of the challenges we face, right, Mm -hmm. is how do, I'm sure this applies to others too, how do you document or how do you make progress or have landmarks to do, like move forward and say, look, we finished this. You know, being able to be good at that, I think, is something that we need to be better at, right? Is how do we make intermediate products of things? Because obviously, I mean, there's no way we're going to tackle all problems. Lots of the problems we do tackle, it's not, we don't know how far we'll be able to get with them, right? And so how do we still have these intermediate achievements and products Mm -hmm. that we can show others and others can build off of if we can't? And um, I think that's a... Still a challenging one. I I agree. Alan, what are your thoughts? So I I think that that uh, that I agree that that's one of the primary challenges that I think we've all stewed over at one point or another is how do we take those 
380 user needs and identify which ones are the ones worth pursuing. And I think that that's something that the clinical advisory group is probably well positioned mm-hmm. to try to attack. But I think that's something that I'm going to be stewing over as we go through the holiday season here and, and how we can try to build a system where we're not like discrediting or ignoring any of those user needs. And we're sort of treating each one individually with the respect it deserves, but then really focusing on the, the ones where we are best positioned to make the most impact on. Yeah. I mean, I think our physician input group has already kind of steered some of those projects that we've been that we put on the back burner, right? We've got, we've already kind of, we've already brought them to you guys, which is great. But in the interest of time, I want to move along because we haven't talked to Gabe or Alan about things that you guys think worked well. I mean, so Gabe, you've been around for quite a while, actually, in a bunch of different roles and capacities and including helping me out with the podcast quite a bit. So thank you. But also as sort of the first, I'll say just provider and individual who's on the team, to give us clinical input from the very beginning. So what are your what are your thoughts on things that we've tried that worked well or things saying, that we could improve on? Saying that I've been involved in a lot of roles is a nice way of saying that I haven't done a great job at any of them. No, that's uh, that's objectively false, actually. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I think I touched a little bit on this earlier. I do think that a strength of, of this group has just been fostering interdisciplinary communication between providers and engineers. And really, like I cannot emphasize enough how important that is and how much of an unmet need in and of itself that is. I mean, really, it's where so many groups and so many people struggle. And again, you know, I think one thing that's so interesting about the model you guys employ is traditionally in medical device innovation, it is indeed that the physician has an idea, you know, after years of performing the same procedure and writes it on a napkin and then approaches the engineers. And so by flipping that on its head, by coming to them first and saying, well, I don't want you to think of the solution. I want you to think of what's going wrong you preempt that. And so I think what you get is you you foster that communication. You build it from the beginning before they get dead set in their way or they have their idea in their head. But again, you know, then I think the problem is just finding the right project. So you talked about we have 380 projects in the pipeline and we've gone through two. And I think part of that is that you guys are doing a good job on the two and the two are exciting. But also, you know, a lot of that is probably that if somebody has done this procedure a million times, they've got their idea, they've got the napkin idea, that's something right there. But when you're doing it this way, you have to filter through a lot of noise before you can get to kind of the the slam dunks and the winners. Right. And so I don't think that it's something that you guys have, we've done poorly. It's just something that's unique and kind of a unique problem that most medical device innovators are not having to face. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point, which is the whole level of clinical experience, right? Like you, Gabe, and Alan and Austin as well bring a huge amount of that experience. And as you point out, it's like somebody's done this a million times in the operating room or a million times at the bedside or whatever it is. That's not insight or experience that we have. That's a really interesting observation. I like that. That actually is something that we should think about how we could glean that better. And I think actually our physician input group has done a huge... Maybe that's one of the reasons that they're so valuable that we maybe did unanticipated, at least for me seems a lot more valuable than I anticipated. Sean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say part, I think though, credit to the clinicians. I mean, so not as with any profession, right? It's There's some distribution and not all clinicians are going to see things in a, maybe perhaps an open way. And I, you know, traditionally medicine's a pretty conservative field and there's reasons why things are done the way they are. And changing that 
is hard, right? And I think we're lucky in that the clinicians we do have on board now and the ones that we hope to bring in on the future, right, are ones that are maybe open-minded is not the right word, but willing to sort of question assumptions about why it is things are done the way they are. And I think, you know, just as there's people who have done it a million times, a big chunk will just say, well, that's why I'm going to do it a million and one times, right? Because <laughs> that's just the way it is. So I think having people who are willing to sort of discuss and argue and sort of push why things are done the way they are uh, is really helpful. Because without that, it's really hard to get past someone who says, no, this is the way it should be done. And if there's no room for for dissent or for looking at it differently, it makes it really, really tough. So Yeah. Go ahead, Gabe. So I was going to add, you know, building off what Sean just said, I think another really cool part of this idea is that it um, really invites kind of trainees more so than a traditional model would, right? So usually people want the foremost expert in the field who's done the procedure a million times and knows exactly what to do. But the way that you guys are approaching the situation and creatively problem solving, you in, it's it's more inviting for the, the residents and the fellows. And, you know, so so I'm doing my interviews right now for residency and, and talking to people about kind of everyone gives the perspective, all these program directors of these at these hospitals. So, you know, we, you know, we obviously know the clinical side of things better, but we always, every day, you know, our residents have us think in a different way or think a different thing about a different procedure or something that we hadn't thought about. And it's, you know, they're not the experts yet, but then that kind of is like that they're more malleable and they have a more in an interesting way of approaching problems. That's kind of from a more rudimentary, but kind of unique standpoint. And you guys are able to leverage that more so than say, the Medtronic who just wants the expert to provide some sort of incremental innovation to their existing portfolio. Yeah, I'll, I'll add something that may harmonize both of these things too, which is that I would almost argue that engineers are also equally conservative, maybe not quite, well, yeah, I'll say equally as conservative in approach or sh- in some cases should be from a safety perspective, maybe willing to try crazier ideas because we may be naive or misunderstand the way something, the reason that something is done. But at the same time, I do think that part of the commonality is that we as engineers should be striving to be as risk averse as possible. I mean, fundamentally for anybody who's taken the pledge of the order of the engineer, that's like the first line. It's essentially the same as the Hippocratic oath, except for engineers. And I just think that's an interesting, I'm, I'm just going to point that out and and leave it there. But yeah, Sean. I just want to say that it's just kind of funny. So the part of this idea, both clinician and say medical device engineering, right? Big thing is avoid risk, right? Or minimize risk as much as possible. And yet this whole process, right, is to, the only way it can really be done well is like you just have no fear, right? <laughs> so you have to go in like, yeah. there is no you know, we don't know exactly all the procedure itself or the all the different aspects of some problem, right? And the lack of knowing is part of the thing, right? You can go in kind of fresh and look at it differently and also not be afraid that we don't know everything and the whole purpose is to, to discover it and what these needs are. But at the same time, there's that balance side of, at the end of the day, you still have to it has to be safe and it has to really do the right thing and have the right outcomes and all that. But you kind of have to have both at the same time, right? Where it's okay that you total have have almost complete uncertainty in many ways. And then at the end though, you're supposed to have be completely certain. And I think that's a hard, that's where it's sort of challenging, right? So. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. We got one more person to get to here. We, Alan, I want to hear your thoughts on um, what worked well 
and what you might see as a place for improvement or something that we tried that didn't work or um, where you see things going next? Sure. So I think that the biggest thing that has worked well this year was me joining you guys. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Definitely the biggest. Really, that was the best thing. That was it. That's the highlight. <laughs> there we are. No, but I mean, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> I've really enjoyed the opportunity and I and I think that it's been great to jump in as a clinician in residence to be able to provide the clinical perspective. I don't know necessarily what it was like pre-Allen to compare anything to, but certainly post-Allen joining the team, you know, I, I can see instances where I've been able to to help the team out in a much faster way, you know, either through our Slack chat or through emails or certainly through the um different discussions and iterations that we go through for the the clinical advisory group or other group meetings. And also when we interact with other other teams or other clinicians, you know, helping helping fast tracks and our engineering team members sort of understand the clinical problem. And sometimes as a clinician, I know that I'm guilty where like I, I just don't verbalize something because I assume that like everybody knows it, but I know it because I like work in this job every day where I see patients and have these problems over and over and over again. But if I don't explicitly verbalize it to somebody who's new to that problem, they may not recognize it immediately. And so sometimes it helps to have a clinician sort of ask those probing questions to be able to help sort of elicit um, that information for the rest of the team. And then in terms of uh, what hasn't worked well, I was a little bit surprised. One of the goals that I had when I first uh, joined the team a couple of months back was I wanted to do like a great like literature search and see sort of what was out there and published. And it it turns out a lot of like the the engineering and biodesign people, they're not into publishing like academic literature. They're into publishing like books for like, you know, average (laughs) Joe community member to read. And so, you know, that's obviously a lot different sort of literature review, I guess. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, You know, I was hoping that there would be like a variety of different like models that we could compare, like how physicians are used in engineering teams to be able to, to pick and choose from. And while there are several like active teams such as ours, you know, in different parts of the country at different, mostly universities, it seems that the peer-reviewed literature is probably not the place where we'll find that information. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty common for sure. But maybe that means that we should publish it, right? Like it's an open area of, of literature, Andy. So Devin, we got to flip the script here. So mm-hmm. <laughs> things that worked well and things that were a challenge for, for us. At I, really, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Wait, Nicole raised her hand. Do you have a I was going to say you're going last. So, you know, hit it out of the park here. That's fine. Okay. I I actually have a list here. So things that we didn't mention that, uh, that I thought were maybe going to come up. First of them is we started a program recently where we are inviting providers to come in and say, here's my idea. Will you mock it up for us? It's a sort of design consulting service that we're offering. My opinion is that I was really doubtful that that would be helpful. And I think my opinion has changed. I think that is actually a much more fruitful endeavor, not necessarily because the products that are coming out of it are great or terrible. In fact, I think they are pretty good, but actually because A, the relationships have been much better than I expected. And B, I think it's prompted us to think about the way that we approach building solutions to unmet needs that maybe are unrelated to those. So I think that's actually been a bit of a success as well as a bit of something that we have improved as we've tried it out. 
I will call out Ethan, who's not on this call today, but who has been, I think, a really valuable addition to the team, who's done a lot of heavy lifting with Nicole and the bill on that. So that's something that I think has worked well. I will also call out things that I don't think have worked. Oh, go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say, shout out to Ethan if you're listening, the real MVP. Yeah, for real. Ethan has been killing it. Absolutely. Definitely, no. Great job. Yeah. But the other th- the things that I think we've tried that maybe could be improved or that we're still working on are the litany of, t- of different digital platforms that we're testing out for keeping ideas and organizing and ranking things, Slack and Trello. And we've got the database actually that Nabil built is really great, to be fair. That is one thing that I think is a success. And uh, what Vima, like there's all these different apps. So I think I won't call those failures, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll say that we've tried stuff. And some of it has worked, but nothing so far has caught on as much as I would love for it to. So those are just some of the things that I think will be coming up next. Anyway, those those are my brief thoughts. Let's do this. Since we're pushing time, I want each person 10 seconds. What do you see coming down the pipe for next year? Gabe, I'm going to start with you. My mind is like fully focused on interventional radiology these days. So I'm going to say something very cool with interventional radiology. All right. I like it. All right, Alan. Moving forward, I'm really excited to look at more how we can use physicians to to root through our user needs. Great. All right, Nicole? I see another startup coming out focused on women's health. Okay, I like that one. Nabil? I think uh, kind of a better awareness and knowledge of the resources around us that help us arrive at solutions faster and how to use them more effectively. All right, and then Sean? You know, I think data. I think Data. data, big picture. Some of the stuff we have going with healthcare record people and Epic and things like this, I think that will that'll influence a lot. Yeah. Great. Andy? You know, I think we've been building on a few different projects that we haven't gone into detail here. But, I, you know, I see those translating in the next year. And that's the exciting part where it's like, all right, it clicks. We make progress and it kind of gets out there. And, you know, that's when the kind of impact starts. So I think that's going to be exciting. That's my guess. Great. And my prediction is that we'll gain traction on a methodology and start getting a lot more clarity on how we can disseminate that to other folks that are listening and that read our webpage, et cetera. So that's my prediction for this coming year. So I'm excited. Anyway, we have run quite far into time today, but I think it was well worth the discussion. So thank you all very much for joining me today to Gabe, Nicole, Alan, Andy, Sean, and Nabil, and to those that couldn't join us today from our team. uh, Thanks for all the hard work that you bring and all the value that you've brought to what we're working on now. I'm excited to move forward with you guys next year. I'm really anticipating some some exponential type growth. So thank you guys very much for joining me today. Thanks. By the way, the podcast is probably one of the big uh, success <laughs> stories. Missed so we missed that. Yeah. That oh, been... I guess I should have mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that's great. So it's been fun. And actually we have some really good topics just that have come out of our general discussions. So look for that in our upcoming season, actually. So we'll start that in the new year. So thanks everybody. I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's just before Thanksgiving here when we're recording this, but have a, a wonderful holiday. And I hope if you guys are traveling, stay safe. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks, Devin. Thanks, We hope you enjoyed this episode and this season of Guidewire. We can't wait to bring you more exciting content in Season 2, which comes out in January of 2021. Have a safe and happy holiday. Learn more about our exciting activities, opportunities, and team by subscribing to the Guidewire podcast on your favorite listening service. If you have identified an unmet medical need or are interested in learning more about our process, 
visit us at guidewire.unc.edu. You have been listening to Guidewire, a direct line to medical device innovation.